Hello and welcome again to Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which does indeed try to cover the gaps between church, culture, apologetics, mission, and everything in between. We are we are the in between. Well, not the in betweeners, but we, we cover <laughs> the gaps. We are the pod that covers the gaps. We think, or we hope, and, and we're glad to hear that many people have been listening and enjoying the podcast. And I'm here. My, my name, by the way, is Aaron Edwards. In case you are a first time listener. Um, and I am joined as ever by the partners in crime, Andy Bannister and Michael Otts. How are you well, gents hey. doing? Doing doing well. Doing very, very well. It's a very exciting day in the Bannister household because both my wife and I had our, uh, our COVID jabs today. There's been a little bit of a mess up with, with the computer systems in NH- NHS, NHS Scotland. But finally, we got the jabs today and we worried. Well, I was worried about side effects uh, and all the stuff you've heard. And the great news is I can report I've had... I've had no side effects other than um, I've got this overwhelming inclination to buy Microsoft products and the cell phone reception has improved drastically in my house, but I'm sure that's not connected. That's, that's got to have nothing to do with it, I'm sure. Nothing, yeah. nothing to do with it. And Mike, how about you, Michael? Have you had uh, your jabs yet? Yeah, so Rebecca and I went for our jabs last week, actually. It was like the first thing we did after moving to Leicester. Not because you can only have them in Leicester, but uh, we'd... <laughs> Because of the potential kind of side effects of not feeling great, we decided we wouldn't do it just before we moved house, um, given that we were going to have to lift about a thousand boxes over the next 24 hours. Um, uh, but actually, um, in the end, it was it was all very fine. Um, we went in, um, slightly sore arm out the next day. And uh, yeah. as I say, you know, other than the phone reception and the uh, the um, Microsoft Office that I bought last week. Yeah, that's that's my joke, man. Just let us hand off. He's retweeting you. He's yeah, retweeting. Aaron, me. though, hasn't had his 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 jab. And I heard this rumor—it's only a rumor, Michael. It's only a rumor that they are uh, the more the more dispensable people. They're they're <laughs> pushing down the down the line, you know, yeah. sort of theologians and 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 and, and lawyers and, and and those kind Life of lifeboat theory. Okay. I mean, how they couldn't realize that my journal articles on you know obscure theological thinkers are not yeah. indispensable to the new civilization on Mars. I Absolutely. don't know what, what they <laughs> so anyway. no, I think is he's, he's holding out for bribes because uh, as we were chatting earlier yeah. before the show, we were discussing that, uh, you know, in New York, they were giving people hamburger and fries for getting yeah. their vaccine jabs. So, you know, as the situation potentially gets, you know, more needy in terms of like, we really want to get the last few people vaccinated, you know, maybe they'll start giving out. Right? Well, you say yeah. that, like the, the funny thing is, right, I, I actually was offered the vaccine a few months ago, way before people around my age were, because I've got asthma. I think I was on the system. And um, so I, I think I tried to book a couple of times and the times didn't suit. I was really busy at the time. I thought, oh, everyone's talking about side effects. I'll just leave it for now. Um, and I still haven't managed to get it done. So that might I might be judged. We might lose, lose you listeners. Could be, you that. could be judged but on the basis. I noticed, re- yeah. I noticed the other vaccine. Part of the, part of the jabs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, part of the interruption. Um, the uh, the NHS vaccine text that I get every now and then when they're trying to encourage me to go for my and I haven't got a smartphone as you know, so I can't click on the link there. I tend to get the text at a random time and have to go and type in the the um, URL later. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I've noticed the rhetoric in these texts has changed. It's sort of like at first it was like you know you are it's possible for you to go if you come at this certain time only. And they've, they've just gradually made it a bit better. We haven't quite got onto hamburger and fries, but my last text from them was, you have reached the top of the queue and are a priority for getting a free NHS COVID-19 vaccine. I love the fact that firstly, they say that it's free. Like, does anyone pay for it? Has the people paid yeah. for it? I don't know. Um, 
But equally, that I've now reached the top. I was already at the top of the queue months ago, but they're now clearly been like, no one is taking us off on this off. We've got to make them feel special. Oh, and I've also heard as well um, that, you know, for those who haven't got smartphones, they're going to, you know, they're moving into those with dumb phones like yours. And then it will be telegrams, um, homing <laughs> pigeons at the door, and well, a exactly. crier, you know, going through the street, ringing his bell. <laughs> we say that, yeah. honestly, yeah, it's so funny. The, I actually had, I was telling a friend this the other day, I had to like have a 20 minute conversation with someone from Amazon the other day. Because I tried to put my password in, and they just did their verification thing where they sent used to send you a code. Now they send you a link, and I was like, right. So because you've sent me a link, I literally can't open that on my phone. So I called them up, and, I, and to, to literally get through to them that I that I couldn't open a link on my phone. They're like, what do you mean you can't open a link? I don't have a phone that can do that. Like, what do you mean you don't have a phone that can do that? <laughs> Let me speak to my superior. And I was like, I'm just going to tell them exactly the same. So it took 20 minutes for them to actually realise that you don't. You know, there are people like us that are here in the world. Yeah, anyway. Speaking, well, is this speaking of uh, people on the outside, on the margins? Um, we have decided to take it upon ourselves to really push the boat out with our, you know, willingness to get cancelled. And our, our our topic for today is what's wrong with gay conversion therapy? So, you know, we've, we've sort of teetered around the edges of cans of worms, but I think this is uh, our moment to really dive in and get into something, given especially as it is Pride Month. Uh, which I know that you know uh, you're all very uh, keen to celebrate in, in various ways um, uh, for the whole month, I hope. And so we thought we'd sort of encounter this sort of issue of the sort of the intersections within um, sexuality that are being explored and expressed at the moment, starting with this very political hot potato, gay conversion therapy. So for those who may not know or may haven't been following this so much in the news. Michael, what on earth are we talking about with gay conversion therapy? Why is this a thing? What is it? Well, I guess that is the question, really, and that's why it's a problem. Um, On the one hand, um, when people talk about gay conversion therapy, they might be thinking of some fairly abusive and horrific practices, you know, electrocuting people to, like, you know, get their sexual desires to change and so on, and um, stuff that pretty much most you know reasonable thinking people would say that's awful, that's manipulative, that's um, coercive. You know, we, we don't like that. Yeah. But at the same time, it could also potentially, by the way that you know um, certain bills are being worded, includes you know a minister who prays for someone who has expressed you know concern about their sexual desires and feels that they would like those sexual desires to change and would. Had asked the minister to pray for them in in line with that, you know, potentially that could also be seen as gay conversion therapy, and therefore someone praying for someone in that context could be therefore deemed illegal. Yeah. And so I guess that is the problem. Um, uh, what do we mean by this terminology? What comes into that remit? Um, and once you start saying that we make this illegal, well, yes, some practices most of us would be against, but then there's a lot that you could sneak in by the back door potentially uh, once you start going down that line. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And it's interesting, isn't it? That's kind of what people often fear mm. when this has been going through the debates in Parliament, obviously. Yeah. We know that people want to talk about religious freedom. We're worried mm. about the back door. Um, what what other things could be enabled or are currently enabled by the fact that it isn't banned? And so I guess that's mm-hmm. sort of why they're they're going there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And anything to add on that of the significance of this issue or the terminology mm-hmm. stuff? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of things we're going to want to say, but I think the the terminology interests me because I think we also live in an age where we love to demonise people by terminology. 
mm. right? So if you mm. are a, if you are a, a woman who believes that gender, you know, that biology is innate and that you can't simply sw- become a woman just by going, "Hey, I'm a woman," um, then you're not a feminist. You're a, you're a turf. You're a trans exclusion mm. exclusionary reactionary mm. feminist, and you're on other horrible titles. Um, you know, if you are. You know, if you are somebody who is on the right wing of politics, and those on the particularly on the left wing of politics will love to label you in all kinds of ways. You're an oppressor mm-hmm. of the poor. You're somebody who doesn't have got no compassion. It's all about the money. Um, and of course, those on the right have similar insults for other insults for those on the left. And when it comes to this, if you, you know, if you don't mm-hmm. swallow the idea um, that sexuality is utterly innate, that nothing can be changed, that somebody might not want actually to, you know, explore. You know whether their sexuality can be, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word adjusted. That's the wrong word. I'm looking for the wrong. I'm, I'm struggling for an adjective there. But if you don't believe, you know, that whole package of ideas, um, then then you are labelled. And so the way that, as you say, gay conversion therapy, on the one hand, conversion therapy can be attached to, you know, things that are absolutely horrific. And I think any right thinking person would want to raise some red flags. But then the same label is stuck on, you know, as Michael said, somebody who simply says to their pastor, hey, I, you know, I'm wrestling with same sex attraction. I don't, I don't want to act on that. I want to live a biblically faithful life. Would you, would you pray with me? Would you, so you can perhaps mm-hmm. I can work that through, you know, that's labeled the same thing. And I, and I, I'm a, I suppose as a philosopher and philosophy is all about words, when yeah. a term like conversion therapy covers such a range of things, I don't, I think it's become useless. I think we need precision, um, and I think it's I think it's an unhelpful term, and it's loaded and quite mm. deliberately loaded. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think even as you say, you know, it's not only that it's broad uh, the term, but it's also got a particular <clears throat> connotation, doesn't it? Therapy suggests something very intentional. Um, it suggests that it's sort of supposedly backed up scientifically in some way. It's supposed to be a kind of course of treatment medication even mm. it puts these ideas in your mind even mm. perhaps of psycho- psychotherapy or psychoanalysis as mm. as michael uh, as mentioned as well, kind of shock therapy um so it, immediately if you are thinking of the word therapy and everything that connotes and and you suddenly allow any religious person who wants to um encourage somebody out of that because of their own belief and and mutually speaking as well that becomes therapy too which again it's just not fair is it to kind of put those things on them if you want to try and you know distinguish these appropriately but it's, it's also politically um amiable for them to put it under one big banner i would say because obviously i think part of this is that those pushing for the ban um they don't want people around who actually believe that you know it, it's not okay to be gay you know not okay, okay to practice homosexuality because of their religious beliefs they think those views are abhorrent. The people who believe them are homophobic. This kind of thing. Um, so it's clearly politically motivated. I would suggest that um, that they want to kind of lump it all together and smear even the possibility of somebody who wants to pray with someone because they'll say, "Oh, maybe you're okay. Maybe you're fine." They don't really think that. They think you're a bigot. But maybe you're okay. You, you've got good intentions, and we want to respect your freedom uh, religiously. But we're worried more about these other things that could come through the door, um, which I think is part of the, the problem here, isn't it? That we that we face um yeah and so i mean have you guys sort of you know come across any uh, any debates on this uh what kind of figures you've, you've sort of seen yeah. um speaking about this that, that have sort of pushed this any further well yeah i think there's, there's two places where i've seen the debate beginning to happen obviously the, the issue is beginning to be talked about in in parliament uh certainly the uh down in westminster there's been some talk about it but then interesting the 
the Scottish, I don't like to use the word Scottish Parliament because it gives the thing a sort of credibility I don't think it has, but the Scottish executive <laughs> is its correct term. We did a show on nationalism the other the other time, didn't we? So my colours are firmly nailed to the mast. Um, you know, I mean, there's been talk here in Scotland about Scotland wanting to lead the world in getting this kind of stuff banned because, you know, hmm. uh, the SNP who, you know, have Scotland's political life in an iron grip want to try and portray themselves as cuddly and progressive and so forth. And I think it's another example of that so i think it's happening in the political kind of sphere hmm. and then of course happening in the church sphere mm -hmm. most most notably actually of course in the anglican church where there's been you know the anglican church is in sort of convulsions some might say death throes but let's be generous and say convulsions over the whole issue of human sexuality and this is part of that so there are people mm -hmm. like steve chalk and um mm -hmm. and, and jane whose surname i forget but you're right me Thank you, Jane Ozan and others who've sort of, I think almost using this as a slight Trojan horse, actually, to say, mm. well, let's use this as an issue to actually open up the whole issue of, you know, human sexuality and gay marriage. And, you know, there's a lot in mm. that, there's lots of folks in that debate who I think see this as a wedge issue to get yeah. the, the Anglican Church to change its views mm. on marriage uh, in general. So I've seen, yeah, there's a, there's a political discussion, there's a, there's a, there's a church denominational discussion, and those circles obviously overlap slightly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Go on, Mike. And it is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you've got a lot of people expressing real concern about this in terms of what that means for religious freedom. You know, mm. does, does the state have the right to be able to, you know, effectively outlaw praying for someone, particularly mm. um, when that person has asked for prayer in the first place? Mm. Um, and, um, but then on the other hand, as we said, you know, um, it was just a couple of days ago, um, the uh, Bishop of Manchester, I think, um, came out and said basically, you know, he would back the prosecution of anyone who was mm. quote harming people um, in that way. And I guess mm. again, the difficulty with the word harm is it's, it's a very kind of vague term, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like on the one hand, of course, no one wants to harm anyone, but what do we consider as harmful? Well, if you're going to say that praying for someone was seen as being harmful, then it's it's dangerous, mm. isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's a good yeah. point. And that, it, that that feeds into the problem of um, being able to speak for people who who do disagree, who are labelled mm. as harmful or oppressive, mm. uh, being feeling less free to even speak mm. about it. So it's one thing being willing to pray for someone who's gay, but it's also mm. another thing to even speak about your view that you would do this if someone uh, asked yeah. for prayer. And I was interesting reading a bit of the um, book we've mentioned several times, The Madness of Crowds, the Douglas Murray mm. book. We've mentioned before Douglas being, of course, himself gay, but a critic of the LGBT sort of lobbying mm. group he thinks basically that they've won their mm. battles that they needed to win mm. to overcome homophobia um mm. which i think many christians would agree would be a problem yeah. homophobia would be um and now they've pushed it too far and they're kind of this is what he's kind of critiquing and i, and I read an interesting uh, he went to um a screening of a kind of gay conversion therapy kind of documentary he, he speaks about this in, in the chapter which is called gay in his book uh, madness of crowds mm. And he notices um, uh, several of the interviewees um, who were gay once, but now appear here with their faces blacked out. Um, so they are people who were gay who have now kind of converted, as it were, mm. to heterosexual um, perhaps orientation, perhaps practice. I'm not mm. quite sure what it specifies, mm. but they were gay. And now they're not. And he says, perhaps mm. it's too charitable to reflect that it wasn't so long ago that this need for blackened out faces and back of head shots would have applied the other way around. I thought that was a really, really insightful point mm. that we've gone from a place where there was a time in British society and Western society more broadly, where if you were gay, it would be difficult to come out. It's almost the case now 
where you have to come out of the closet as a quote-unquote bigot because um, you're seen as this by somebody um, who thinks that you need to get in, in line with, you need to catch up with where contemporary society is on this issue. And it's moved so fast, um, it's probably easier for people maybe tend to reason to stay quiet rather than to speak up. Yeah. There are so many issues there, aren't there? I mean, it was interesting on the speaking up piece. Um, we were checking before we hit the record button, weren't we? You think you look at, say, you know, someone like, say, Philip Schofield, you know, famous mm. kind of well known, you know, sort of TV um, celebrity, in fact, children's TV presenter when I was a kid. And so as I've grown up, he's grown up and now does sort of daytime TV and stuff. And, you know, married for happily married for years with, with kids and all. And, you know, was it last year or so, fairly recently, you know, came out as uh, as as gay so basically walked away from his family and his children you know caused potential seismic shockwaves there i mm. guess you know and 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 you know it's now you know with a with a male partner as i understand and of course he's celebrated everyone comes out mm. pardon the pun and goes yay philip isn't it wonderful he discovered his true identity and mm. you know mm. he's lauded in the newspapers and uh, or certain newspapers um but i remember if i was always reflecting saying that would be interesting how would that have been if that was the way around that if mm-hmm. Philip for 20 or 30 years had been, you know, self-identifying as, as gay, mm-hmm. had been uh, with a same-sex partner, they adopted children together, and after 20 years, comes out and goes, actually, I'm heterosexual, and I'm walking mm-hmm. away from that relationship mm-hmm. and those kids, and I'm marrying a woman, and I'm going to live a life as heterosexual. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether the likes of The Guardian and such forth, uh, so forth, would have had similarly running headlines mm-hmm. going, it's, he's so brave. He's mm-hmm. embraced his true identity. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting. Mm. But it only runs one way. Yeah. I have a couple mm. of things I wanted to say, but then, mm. you know, Michael already got stuff to add too. Um, you mentioned the religious freedom angle. I think it's important we also talk about this. It's not just about religious freedom, is it? It's about personal freedom. Mm. Uh, because, you know, I've got a, a friend of mine here in uh, in in Dundee who's a counsellor. I remember him saying to me that he had some concerns because, you know, he'll occasionally, because of the nature of the kind of field that he works in, have clients come to him who are struggling with same-sex attraction and want to change that that struggle and live differently. And he said, all of my counseling training is that you listen to the clients and you then kind of help them achieve the personal goals that they have set for yeah. themselves. So if this sort of, you know, becomes, you know, illegal or whatever, what do I do? I'm then stuck between a rock and a hard place. So on the one hand, I could turn around, you know, if I turn around to the client and say, no, go away, I can't do that. Potentially I could be, I could be reported actually as a counselor because I'm imposing my, view mm. of who they should be on them on themselves and that mm. breaks all kinds of mm. professional stuff on the other mm. hand if i turn and I go absolutely i'll help you work to achieve that end then i can be reported to the police so what mm. do i do as a as, as a counselor mm. and then harm, i just want to say something very quickly on harm mm. is interesting isn't it because i had a fascinating conversation with a, a couple of years ago the friend of mine who's a, who's a pastor here in scotland i won't mention which city because it might identify you know which church but um he very evangelistic church and there was a, a young man who started coming to their congregation and exploring faith, but really, really, really struggling, you know, came close to following Christ, but couldn't quite kind of commit. And uh, then one day he kind of booked an appointment with my friend who's the pastor and came and so basically poured out everything that was going on. And what was going on was that um, he was in a gay relationship. And he'd had lots of very helpful, kind of very progressive Christian friends who'd gone, no Ooh. problem, you don't need to change any of this, that's all fine. Mm. And the, and actually, at the same time, the Holy Spirit was convicting him. And, and basically, he'd come to see my friend because he'd said to my friend who's the pastor, the sermon you preached the other Sunday night, which was nothing to do with sexuality at all, mm. fun enough, in the middle of that, he'd had this very powerful experience of the Holy Spirit convicting him mm. and saying, you need to walk away from that relationship and, and mm. find your identity in Christ. That's what 
I'm asking you to do. Hmm. And as the pastor prayed through with him on that, and he followed through on that, he then gave his life to Christ, and suddenly hmm. everything took off. But my hmm. friend would say the harm was being caused in that, the spiritual harm, by well-meaning Christian friends that were holding that gentleman back because they were saying, mm. no, 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 you don't need to change. Mm. And actually the Holy Spirit actually in this case was saying, yes, 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 you do need to change. Mm. And what he needed mm. was someone to hold his hand and help him mm. just take that that step. Mm. Um, so I think the harm thing is interesting. I think gross spiritual harm is done when mm. we simply affirm people's position and go, your life is absolutely fine. Mm. Nothing needs changing. There's no worries at all. We just carry on. Mm. Christianity is a self-help program. Live life mm. you want, uh, you know, uh, have sex with who you want, make the choices you want, and just put the Jesus sticker on top, and it'll, it'll be life will be wonderful. Yeah, um, I think that has leaks all over the place. Mm. Absolutely, Michael. I think just thinking about it, kind of pastorally, you know, how do we operate as Christians on this? I think there is a challenge, isn't there? Because um, we want to say that you know it's clear the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. We think that's you know we want to affirm that. What does it therefore practically mean for someone who experiences same-sex attraction who becomes a Christian? Um, and, you know, the reality of people's experiences would be that it's a variety of things. You know, for some, mm -hmm. it's, you know, those desires don't change and they choose to live a celibate life. Um, and there are examples of that that we could think of. Um, but, you know, there are also examples of those who come to know Jesus and they find over time either in one experience or maybe progressively that those desires change mm -hmm. and they end up in a heterosexual marriage relationship um, sometime in the future. And both of those things can happen. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's interesting, though, is that we can be incredibly nervous, can't we, as Christians, to talk about the second category mm -hmm. um, because of the culture's um, reaction against gay conversion therapy or what people think by that um so even to kind of potentially suggest that that is a possibility um is something that maybe we can steer clear from now i think we've got to be careful because you know it's not guaranteed you know if i come to know jesus that you know this area of my life will change you know, we, we just don't know do we as as with every other area of our lives when we become to come to know jesus you know we don't know what it will exactly mean for mm. for us but mm. But I think sometimes we can just be too hesitant to say this could even be a possibility. You know, and, and from a secular point of view, you know, most people are quite happy to accept that there is fluidity to sexual orientation. Mm. Although, as Andy mentioned earlier, like we're happier to talk about it going one way than the other way. Yeah. Um, but experience would say that, that there is, you know, it's on a completely secular level. So, it, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's really interesting. And, you know, it, there's, a, there's a couple of things you could say on the back of that. Yeah. Firstly, there's a sense in which the whatever the latest um, or the second uh, realization of your sexuality, as it were, may, maybe, or, or your fruition, it would always be the trajectory towards homosexuality would be then fixed, and it wouldn't be yeah, it wouldn't be able to move beyond that. If anything, you'd think it'd be more consistent to say that sexual conversion therapy is mm. the problem. So even someone who, like Philip Schofield, therefore would seem, you'd almost have to say, well, Philip Schofield, you're married, you're heterosexual, it seems, um, but mm. now you're, you, you're becoming gay. That's not right. You're not allowed mm. to do that because you're not allowed to change mm. the sexuality or something. Mm. But apparently when you move the other way, you can't un-change your mm. sexuality. Again, as you say, there's fluidity in these mm. things uh, seemingly, but we seem to think that as, once you're in this camp, you can't come out of it um, because that would be offensive. And it's, it's so politically motivated. The other thing with that is, I had a debate on Twitter with someone who was um, mm -hmm. defending Steve Chalk in various ways. I mean, I'll get back onto Steve Chalk in a moment about the debate. <laughs> uh, but um, it it was interesting that he was really going to town 
on saying you cannot change things that are fundamental to human existence. Mm. And I was thinking, mm. and I started replied, what what about gender, which we talk about all the time? We talk about gender mm. fluidity, and and it suits mm. us to talk about that. Is that not fundamental mm. to human existence, whether you're male mm. or female? No, no, no. That's fluid, fluid, and it's a, it's merely a construct that we think in terms of mm. uh, of uh, mm. binaries of male female, and therefore. Mm. We, we're happy to kind of shift between them almost. There's not as much problem as to go, I was male, now I'm female, and now I'm fluid in, in a, perhaps a different way, or perhaps I'm uh, crossing in between them. Though that There's a lot more acceptance for that. But when it comes to sexuality, it seems the rules are completely um, fixed in a different direction and, and skewed, really, aren't they? Um, well, there's a couple of other things that flow out of this as, as, as well. I mean, because of that, as you say, that the fluidity is only seen to move one way, you know, Philip Schofield and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Of course, what I find fascinating is that those who do move the other way, and there are plenty of stories, mm-hmm. you know, the the kind of fire and vitriol they get, either from you know, their former own side or from 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 those that are more, you know, fond of Edward progressive end of things, mm-hmm. and to go, it's vicious. Um, and I think we may have mentioned on on the podcast before, but if not, you know, a great resource and a website I'd, I'd commend to listeners. If you ever look at Living Out because living out is a is a website run by a, a collection of christian men and women who have that experience of being same-sex attracted and either that has changed or they are choosing to you know not, not act on it and live you know biblically uh, faithful lives and to go some of the stuff they've had to put up with even from fellow christians um because of that sort of sense of you're, you're you know you're breaking the mold mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's i think their stories need to be told more mm-hmm. so um you know people like ed shaw and Sam Albury yeah. and others who, you know, I count as friends. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think, I think this is, this is, uh, this is really, really interesting. But I tell you the other thing that's interesting, not merely as your point there about your friend on Twitter, uh, that, that you engaged with, um, there, Aaron, but not only is there the idea that, you know, these things are, are innate, then there's the idea, of course, that we are slaves to our desires that mm-hmm. I find absolutely fascinating. This is a very, you know, again, boy, if we're going to cancel, you know, controversial error to get into, because the temptation is that, you know, we're not careful. We, we associate the words, you know, gay with a series of other behaviors that are, you know, considered beyond the pale, but we yeah. are all, you know, find within ourselves a whole series of, of urges and desires and leanings mm-hmm. and temptations and wants, you know, all those adjectives mm-hmm. and to go, you know, even before we get into what the Christian faith says about there, just just normal sort of you know secular psychology would say you don't have to act on them. You can mm-hmm. you can reflect on them and process them mm-hmm. and deal with them and think about them. But certainly as a Christian, you'd want to say, well, hang on a minute, isn't the whole point of Christian faith that all of those are surrendered to the Lord, and uh, mm-hmm. and you know, and some of them will be dealing with them will be a, a you know seventy years of discipleship, and we may still be wrestling with those things, but we mm-hmm. are not slaves. To our passions is the difference between I would say being a human being and an animal. Is an animal is a slave to its passions. Mm. As a human being, we are not. Mm. And the Christian faith obviously says a lot more than that. That actually in Christ we are new creations, and mm. the old is the old is dead. Mm. And there's something about Christian discipleship that says we need to do some killing of mm. these these things. And to you know, to, I'm sorry to be that direct for for some and mm. name the elephant of going and, and around sexuality. There's a whole series of things that just require killing. Mm. Whether that is, I think, same-sex attraction, mm. whether it's pornography, whether whatever it is, mm-hmm. and to go, we, we are we want to be compassionate and come alongside people, but also go, no, it is not. Mm. I think mm. the right response as a Christian mm. to go, we're just going to affirm it. Um, mm. We don't condemn, and maybe you know the the, the Galatians doesn't it? in the in, in the scriptures talks about carrying one another's burdens. Yeah, 
I remember years ago when I was back in Toronto hearing uh, Charles Price, very well-known, uh, set up the uh, or lead, led the Cape and Ray Bible Schools for a long time, uh, led People's Church in Toronto, big 6,000-person church. And he gave a wonderful sermon uh, on human sexuality uh, a few years ago when we lived in Toronto and preached on that very text in Galatians. And he ended the sermon uh, wonderfully. He said, I, my, he said, my prayer for, for People's Church here in Toronto, he said, is that we would be a, a congregation which it is safe for people to come out not that we then affirm their sexuality, you know, but then we then come alongside them and go, you're struggling with that. Let me walk with you. Let me help you. Let me support you. Uh, and, you know, and yes, there'll be failures and yes, there'll be mess ups and we will not condemn you. We will walk mm. with you on the path of discipleship. Mm. Um, and I think right now, I think sadly in the church, there are there are times only two options. You know, there are absolutely churches where if you come out of same sex attracted, you mm. do just get condemnation. Let's name mm. that. There is homophobia in the church and it needs mm. addressing. But the other option doesn't work either, where you come out and you're like, brilliant, absolutely, that's fantastic. Let's mm. stick the rainbow flag on the pulpit. Yeah. And there has to be a third way between either mm. just you know hugging and affirming uh, yeah. or just condemning. Um, and I think that third way is the, is, the, is the path of discipleship and Christ following, taking up our cross mm. and walking after our Lord. And for some mm. of us, that cross carrying is going to be in the, in the area of sexuality. Mm. It's not going to be easy. Mm. And I think just on that, I mean, David Bennett in his very helpful book, Biography, A War of Loves, um, talks about that. Um, so David Bennett, who um, uh, was a gay activist in Australia, encountered Jesus in a pub um, very unexpectedly and then wrestled with what that meant for his sexuality and ultimately came to the conclusion that actually that meant that he was going to live as a celibate gay Christian. Um, his sexual desires haven't changed, um, but he isn't acting on them. Um, in that way. Uh, but that was a, a long process of wrestling for him to come to that he describes in the book. But he describes those kind of different reactions from the kind of homophobia of uh, the kind of Christian far right, you might say, but also to the um, the harmful kind of attitudes of, of, of other Christians who are basically, um, he found, you know, being unhelpful. Um, yeah. and, and ultimately, he just felt actually, as I read scripture, and as I as I wrestled with this, and I prayed about this, I, I felt this was the right way um, to go. And he says, actually, you know, there were times when he's faced real negative reactions from people who claim the name of Christ, who, who feel that he's wrong. And he's like, actually, as Andy's saying, we need to, to get a balance here. You know, there's, there's two great pitfalls that we can fall into. Um, and we want to watch out for both of them. That's right. And it's interesting when we talk about I mean, David, David Bennett is a really interesting case for that, isn't he? And obviously he was mm. someone who I think became a Christian mm. and part of that was part of his conversion from unbelief yes. and as well as his sexuality, which was, you know, really interesting case there because often the case is made, the church needs to get more missional um, mm -hmm. in order to reach LGBT groups by affirming. But anyway, that's a slightly separate issue, which we'll probably pick up when we talk about this uh, relating to marriage, maybe in a few weeks' time or so. But um, just to take I mean, to link off of the back of what Andy was saying as well there about sin, how seriously we take sin as Christians, and whether we're, if we believe um, homosexual practice is not going to be good for someone because it's sinful, mm. how how committed are we to carrying one another's burdens, as it were, to caring about them as, as disciples, mm. rather than it being like an option? Oh, this is just my belief, almost like an end times belief that doesn't particularly make a huge difference to whether to our life now. Do you believe in, are you, are you a pre-millennialist or you're an amillennialist or a post-millennialist? You know, the, the kind of thing which we can just put off into the distance, it won't really affect our day-to-day -day life. Mm. I mean, it probably does actually, but anyway, and that, that's a, a theological debate we can get into another time. But uh, it, it's interesting that this issue has become like that, like a secondary issue 
to the extent that it doesn't matter. But if you believe homosexuality is sinful, and you may even believe homosexual orientation is sinful, um, and that God doesn't like it, it's not okay for you to not care about your brothers and sisters enough to mm. speak about that. And this mm. is where it gets difficult because, of course, as we've been saying, as Douglas Murray and others have been saying, it's not easy to speak about this if you don't mm. affirm. Um, and I had an interesting experience. We mentioned Steve Chalk. I got asked by the Religion Media Center last autumn to come and speak uh, in a kind of Zoom panel with journalists there to kind of um, – take take notes uh, on what these religious people are talking about on this very issue of gay conversion therapy. And Steve Chalk was in this debate and Jane Ozan was in this debate. Um, so all the kind of big hitters. And then I was wondering, why, and I said, when is this debate then? They said, we want you to come and give the evangelical views. When is this? Oh, it's tomorrow at 12 o'clock. And I was like, hmm, seems rather late for you to be assembling your panel. Might I suggest... Is it possible that you, I'm not the first person you've asked <laughs> to speak on this issue? And they're like, well, you're right. It has been difficult for us to get a voice on the evangelical side to speak on this. I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised. And um, why do you think that is? And we had an interesting discussion. I said, here's what I'd probably talk about. And said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Come on, come on the um, call. So I, I don't know who was listening journalistic, journalist-wise, but it was being live tweeted, which I found interesting. Um, <laughs> and it was the first time I'd you know, engaged with Jane Ozan um, directly. And it was interesting because not only is, is was it odd the fact they couldn't find the evangelical to speak, but as soon as I started speaking, and the things that I started saying, all of the all of the traffic came towards me. All of the stuff in the chat, there was, I was trying to respond to various things in the chat as I was speaking, but constantly the kind of looks I was getting, the head shakings, or violent head shakings on this call, and it was really interesting. I, I was re- all I was my main point was actually to defend those. Christians who would take sin that seriously. So obviously the very idea that we see certain things as sinful, um, to, to a Jane Ozan or a Steve Chalk, is a horrible thing. It's almost sinful ourselves. I think they'd probably almost say. Mm-hmm. It's sinful for you to think that it's sinful. I said, well, what about West African Pentecostals, who, who, you know, the majority of which, especially those here in the UK, who may set up black majority churches, not because they want to always, just because that's sometimes how it goes culturally. Um, and they have often been on the on the worst end of this this sort of uh, abuse, and that's at this time, this very time of Black Lives Matter, and let's be make sure we're not being colonial in any way of assuming we're right and and others here are wrong. When it comes to this issue, we're totally happy to tell vast swathes of Black West Africans, you need to be educated, you need to get educated, and then you'll understand. We know we've learned something in the West that you haven't learned. And when you do learn it, you can stop being so primitive. That's basically, I've seen that attitude in academic conferences. I've seen it in conversations over lunch tables when I've got African students. And I've seen there a very progressive white liberal um, kind of condescending in the way they're looking at them, patronizing them. And I just think this is almost hilarious if it wasn't so outrageous to see this and and to see someone pouring their heart out, talking about their view because they want to redeem, liberate people from sin. And this person is looking at them like they are, a horrible person or really stupid either of those and i think yeah. th- this comes to a head in that we we get we there was that case i forget where the church was exactly but we had there was an undercover journalist who went in and pretended to be a same-sex attracted christian who wanted prayer in into a pentecostal church where they're going to be a bit more shall we say forthright in the way they pray so they're not going to pray like a nice genteel anglican they're going to pray in tongues they're going to put their hands on you and that's fine that's normal that's biblical 
And to Pentecostals, it's quite normal. I know they don't get too much of that up in Scotland, Andy. Experience. Uh, they they kind of run away from the spirit. Here, uh, <laughs> yeah, but but it, it's perfectly normal culturally to do that. And I've even seen on ITV, you know, it was a kind of news channel. Well, no, it's just a, a channel. Uh, but like, the ITV news segments where they've shown a seven-second clip of a, an African praying in tongues, sounding crazy and demented when they're talking about gay conversion therapy. And I was like, that is literally racist. And how on earth you can get away with doing that at a time when we're truncating racism over left, right, and center in all sorts of other ways, I have no idea. So it's really interesting how these two things collide and we're happy to be completely prejudicial um, against black people and, and against particular you know, swathes of the church when it suits us, when it suit, whichever political agenda happens yeah. to be loudest. I think you're dead. I think you're dead right, and I think, gosh, I mean, we got so many, so many opportunities being cancelled in this episode. I think, um, I think, and I say this very carefully, that in some quarters of the church, you know, the fact that folks have attached themselves to this issue is, I'm afraid, just nothing more than a, than, than a power grab, hmm. um, because they've seen which way they think the church is swinging, particularly these larger. Older denominations like the Anglican Church and uh, and the Methodist Church and and I know you said the Methodists have got a conference coming up in a few weeks time on this mm-hmm. issue and learn behold they've excluded all the all the overseas people because they mm-hmm. think they might run it the wrong way but it's a power game and so for someone like for someone like and we say someone like Steve Chalk you know let's I'm going to name the elephant here to go you know Steve was that kind of it was centre evangelicalism and he had his little tribe around him and I think things shifted. And he lost that power and influence. And now he's figured out, well, if I play, you know, the rainbow bedecked, you know, sort of liberal Baptist minister, I will get power. And I do think, you know, money, sex and power are the three big temptations mm-hmm. um, in Christian leadership. And I think Steve mm-hmm. has gone for the the, 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 the power piece, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. It also reminds me as well that, you know, so often when we talk about sin, um, we need to remember that, you know, behind the kind of surface level sins that I think, you know, are the sort of symptoms of the underlying disease, there are some pretty primary ones that underlie everything else. I think idolatry is a is a big one uh, in the scriptures. And I think obviously around the area of sex and hedonism and things that very, very often is where people end up sort of identifying their lives. Then I think power is a is another and so i think it's is interesting that behind this issue you know does lie things like 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 what you think sin is do you just think it's you know occasionally doing something a bit naughty tweeting the wrong thing but a quick slap on the rest of your okay mm. is it something more structural and of course this is probably an issue for another episode on the whole biblical authority piece and interestingly mm. with steve right steve is a textbook example of this that he began to go a bit wibbly wobbly on sexuality because he met a nice you know gay couple mm-hmm. and changed his view and as i think tim keller once pointed out if you change your view on on the biblical view of sexuality because you meet a nice gay couple that means before you met the nice gay couple you were a bigot mm-hmm. um whereas the rest <laughs> of us you know hold the views we do because we think this is what the bible teaches not because we hate people so you yeah. know maybe steve has some issues there um but now steve has also sl- i'd say slodden that's not the past tense of slid it should be you know slodden. i think we should no that works slid. steve has, has now slight slid slod slided it did 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 into you know the bible is now in question the identity yeah. of jesus is in question I, I don't say this with any form of sort of triumphalism but i wouldn't be surprised if given another 10 years down the road steve will be sort of you know a complete full-blown universalist maybe yeah. even a sort of you know effectively a functional atheist because i think once the authority of scripture goes which is mm-hmm. the, one of the issues behind this 
the, the, the skids are greased for everything else. And it's interesting, you know, in the in the end of the debate, he basically completely sidewinded, sidelined my points and summed up the debate because he was trying to promote um, this sort of uh, thing he does uh, with the sort of post-conversion sanctuaries and using all the worst examples of the kind of shock therapy or, or let's say, you know, at the hands of, um, um, yeah, some of these Pentecostal preachers who, who preach kind of fervently um, and speaking about, you know, sin in terms of demonic activity and that kind of thing, which is different, you know, there's different ways of speaking about that. Mm-hmm. That could be problematic depending on what you thought. But if, if you were a Pentecostal who believed demonic um, uh, activities is associated with your sin, which I think many Christians would believe appropriately, um, yeah, that, that can get really harsh treatment. So we talked about all the worst possible examples. I think Jane Ozan also mentioned um, an example of someone being raped in order to try to, you know, convert them back to heterosexuality. It's really hard to know what to do with that because, you know, you know I think you were saying earlier, you know, there's no details on that. There's no context. Clearly, that is not a normal practice. That's not what a Christian anywhere would think there's a good idea. So wherever that's come from, it's just, it's almost ludicrous. But these are very powerful emotive stories, mm-hmm. really very horrible uh, situations of abuse. And right at the end, obviously everyone gets lumped in with that, the kind of any Christian who prays with someone who wants to be, you know, uh, freed from um, homosexual attraction um steve uh steve chalk at the end just sort of sums up and says um well i'm just looking forward to the payday that's going to arrive uh when this law comes through um and when people can sue these churches who and not even continuous cases past cases so how many how many examples will rack up of people who've ever been prayed for who could claim emotional damages and bankrupt just hundreds and hundreds of churches he just said this with a glee on his face i just thought goodness me I think we're beyond the pale here. Like it's really difficult to see how this is a a positive thing. But for him, he's convinced himself that all of these churches, that the majority of them presumably, are then abusive and abusing people. So if you get that in your head, then of course I guess you go down this litigious route. But it's interesting how you know how the kind of things, the quite savage things that can come out um, when you open those kind of things up, as you say, Andy, which which tend to go on a scale. I think this. I guess one of the questions I'd have off the back of all of this is, you know, we can talk about this qu- quite openly with three Christians who are committed to the authority of scripture. And um, so we're kind of coming from that start point. But but one of the difficulties, and it was the same discussing, say, gay marriage, mm. is that how do you then speak up in society without sounding like the bigots? Mm. Um, because it's like, you know, um, everyone can have in their mind the worst thing that they imagine when it comes to gay conversion therapy that we would be against as well Mm. so then when we question or say i'm against this kind of new law that's coming in Mm. people are like so you're for it then and Mm. and so see what i mean like um we look like the most bigoted uncompassionate you know uncaring people um we want to stand up for what we think is right but how do we do that like it's my question how do we communicate this or ask questions about this in a way where people who don't share our set of assumptions would would see more helpfully where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really, no, that's really, really, really key. And this is kind of the thing that we've been wrestling with, mm-hmm. isn't it? With mm-hmm. how, how do we how do we handle this, and how do we um, mm-hmm. enable the church to be mm-hmm. the church and look after mm-hmm. one another, and to kind of proclaim mm-hmm. what we believe to be true, and and that includes you know proclaiming against homophobia and, and mm-hmm. sort of denouncing practices which are unhelpful, mm-hmm. um, but. But I think the danger, as I've said, that the silence issue, which we've we've spoken mm. about before, not speaking up, can be really mm. harmful um, mm. because you end up thinking, well, we'll just not fight this battle. 
And then eventually, as long as the wolves don't come for us, and they will, they will come for you. Um, If you hold that view in any way, even if you don't express it publicly, they'll find a way to get you, I'm sure, because I can see the direction of travel. We can all see the direction of travel. We're not, you know, we have to have our eyes open here and realize that it's not just a small little thing. So fighting the battle for um, speaking up against um, the ban is important. I think we should definitely have some kind of ban, of course, about these other practices. I presume they're already illegal. I think that's something that many of them might notice. That all of the terrible examples are already illegal. Um, so, because they're just ridiculous situations. So, really, this is a way of trying to stop people praying because they just don't agree with your view. It's a kind mm-hmm. of thought police uh, thing as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's. A, I, I mean, we're running out rapidly out of time, but I think that's a, that's a great. You know, you said what questions would you <laughs> would you raise with somebody? I think I think that's where mm-hmm. I would begin. I'd actually begin with those more sort of legal societal things. If I was doing talking with someone who didn't you know share my christian faith on that i think i begin by going you know there are some absolutely gruesome abuses out there um you know what what examples did you have of ones that the current law won't catch um mm. and just actually get them to do the work on that then i think i might go to you know the interesting thing is you know you know we also live in this age where people do think sexuality is 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 fluid and i'm really worried this law could shut down people you know, being free to actually sort of think about who they're playing them a little bit, actually, mm. because of going then, you know, because presumably this law could pick up, you know, a Philip Schofield, <laughs> for example. Um, mm. And then I would find the way to, to bridge into the gospel. And I think probably I would bridge into the gospel by going, I think one of the things the Christian faith tells us is that actually, ultimately, laws from without don't change the hearts mm. from from within. You know, all of us have views of how we'd like the world to be. Um, and I think the problem is that the moment you start legislating for the left, right, and centre beyond the basics of you, please don't kill each other and you know stick weapons in each other, then it becomes a a huge, huge problem. And, and we're all we're ducking around the the, the real issue here, mm. I think, which is how do we actually address the human the human heart? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you could do that through the legislative mechanisms i don't think that that works whether you label it thought policing or whether whatever you label it, i don't think it ever ends it, it ever ends well and you know, the thing for me that's so powerful about the message of christ and the christian faith is it does say it could do something about those heart issues it can touch the place that the you know that legal apparatus can't that's roughly how i would try and figure out a, a way through it yeah that's good i say a good kind of place to end it unless michael do you have any final Pearl. No, I think that was really helpful. Thank you. Um, there you are. Well, we've come come to the end of our time, um, and so if we do indeed um, survive to make another show, um, we hope that you will be listening next time. And we've certainly enjoyed uh, chatting amongst ourselves here, and I hope you've enjoyed listening in. And do keep continue to liking, subscribing, and all of that normal podcast um, malarkey that uh, that uh, we hear and uh, propagate and uh, share it with people you think that it would be helpful for. Um, until next time, farewell. This has been Pod of the Gaps. I've been Aaron Edwards and Andy Bannister and Michael Lotz. See you next time. Bye for now. Bye.